sell, just don't sell it on eBay. It'll be fine. Well, good morning again. Still a little hurt. Some of you thought that I really didn't know how to act. I heard the snickers. I heard the comments. But we're glad to be with you this morning, and uh, I hope that you're glad to be here. If you would, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 16. We're going to be starting in verse 26 this morning. And we've been looking, we've been looking over the last several weeks and are winding down a sermon series on worship with the understanding that if we are healthy believers, that we understand how worship should operate in our lives and how we are to worship. And in the same way, if we desire to be a healthy church that produces healthy disciples, that we as a church need to grasp a hold of right worship and to do it well. And so this morning what we're looking at, though, is how worship can lead to evangelism. How worship leads to evangelism. You'll notice that the that worship this morning is not, or that we're not saying that worship is evangelism. And I want to... I want to be very careful this morning to help us to see this just briefly before we get started because there are so many churches out there, there are so many ministries out there that make a big production of worship and they put on a concert and the desire for that concert is not to glorify Him, not to focus on the Lord, but rather to make themselves look good so that they might attract more followers. That is not what we're talking about. In fact, that is what we want to avoid. And I'm not saying, by the way, that having a good sound system or doing things to the best of your ability or using lights or whatever is bad. I'm not saying that at all. But I want us to understand, before we talk about how worship leads to evangelism, that when we worship, though we do it to the best of our ability, we never do it so that it might turn the focus on ourselves. So that people might say, man, that church, they, they put on a good, a good show. Man, that guy that, that plays bass, he knows how to play it. Never seen anybody do it with a gate hole, but he does it well. Okay, that's not why we do worship. We do worship so that we may lift him up. And what I pray that we see this morning in the Word is that when we do worship rightly, when we do worship that lifts the Lord up, that he draws others to himself and therefore, worship leads to evangelism. All right. Hopefully by now you found Acts chapter 16, verse 26. We're going to read a portion of this together. So if you would stand to honor the reading of God's word, then we'll get started this morning. We kind of start in the middle of a story here. But verse 25 says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do, what must I do to be saved? Let me pray. Father, we come before you this morning, and 
we are incredibly grateful that we have a relationship with the God of all creation and that we have the opportunity to worship you in spirit and in truth, that we can come together as a body, as a family of God and lift up your name and sing your praises about who you are and what you have done for us and what you have done in us. Father, I pray this morning that as we look at your word, that you would use your Holy Spirit, that it would descend upon us, that we would see things that we have never seen before, that we would understand you and your worship in a way that we never have before, that it would change us encourage us and challenge us to worship you rightly and to make your name known among all the nations, among all people, to make your name known here in our community, among our family and our friends. Father, I pray this Before we dig too much farther into our passage, I kind of want to set the stage of what has happened because we kind of launch into the middle of a story or or of an account um, that Luke is giving us about Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas, by the way, are on the second missionary journey that Paul would take, and they have come to uh, where the church in Philippians would be. Um, If you know that letter well, they've come to that city, and they are going about spreading the gospel and sharing the, the gospel with those that they come into contact with. And behind them, following them, is a girl that has, uh, is possessed. And she uh, is being used by other gentlemen uh, for fortune telling and divination. They're making money off of her demon possession is what they're doing. But this girl is following Paul and Silas around town for several days. And finally, Paul has enough of it. And he turns around and he tells the demon to be gone. And he casts the demon out of this girl. And immediately this girl is free from this possession that she's had. But in doing so, he has also gotten rid of her ability to fortune tell and divination and all this stuff. So what the men that have been making money off this girl, they get infuriated because Paul has almost literally taken money out of their pockets. And so they grab him and Silas and they drag them before the court and they accuse them of teaching Uh, things that would be against the Roman government and of basically disturbing the peace. And the judges, without very much uh, in the way of proof, take these two men, take Paul and Silas, and they beat them, and then they throw them into the inner part of the prison. These guys were so dangerous that they had to be kept in the middle of everything so that there was no way that they could escape. And then their feet are put in shackles. And so that's where we find Paul and Silas at this point. And then, and so what's to be expected? We talked with the kids about expectations when you go places. The expectation for prison is certainly not what we see Paul and Silas do. Paul and Silas begin praising the Lord. They begin to worship. And then through their, as they are worshiping in the middle of the night, an earthquake happens and all of the doors of the prison are thrown open. And the shackles 
and the bonds of the prisoners are loosed. And again, there's an expectation such that the jailer, the guy that was in charge, is going to kill himself because the penalty for letting those under your that were captive under you go, letting them escape was, was a pretty intense death. And so he decides, I'm just going to get this over with quick and not have to face that. And then out of the darkness, out of his time of despair and time of no hope, he hears this voice, don't do it. Don't do it. Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Against all expectations, against everything that the world says should happen in this situation, all the prisoners have stayed put. And the judge or the, the jailer runs in and he sees Paul and Silas and he asks the question, What must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? And then we see Paul and Silas leave this guy and they all, his him and his whole family, come to know the Lord as their Jesus as their Lord and Savior. It's a where we want to go, is it not? That is the question that we want people asking. How how can I be saved? What I want us to see today and what we're looking at in this passage is that worship has the power to lead to evangelism. When we do worship rightly, when we focus upon Him and lift Him up and allow it to transform us, it has the power to lead people to Christ. First, we should see that worship sets us apart. Worship sets us apart. Worship is odd in a broken place. Paul and Silas, at the beginning of our passage, find themselves in probably one of the most broken and the most desperate places that they could. They were in a prison. And prison at this time had a totally different meaning than what, it, what we may think of now. And the best that I can come up to is come up to help get this picture is to tell you a little bit about an experience in Madagascar. Of all the things that I experienced, of all the things that happened, of all the food that was put in front of me, of all of the places that I had to stay, of all of the road trips that I took on roads that were less than safe, the thing that terrified me the most was visiting a Malagasy prison. As you walked up to prison, what you would see was it surrounded by individuals and families. And many of these families were there begging because the person that had been the breadwinner for the home, the person that brought home food for these people to live on daily, had been arrested and thrown in prison, and they had nowhere else to go. And those that weren't there begging were there to try to get into the prison to deliver food to those that were there. Because unlike here in Madagascar, you're not provided anything. You have no food, you have no water, you are in there on your own, and unless someone brings something to you, you have the possibility of starving to death. And so that's the outside of the prison. Just a solid concrete wall, barbed wire on the top, all of these desperate people outside. And if you didn't think that was a desperate, broken enough situation, then you walked in. And as you walked in, you emptied all your pockets, and the guards looked at you and said, you're on your own. Nothing like that going into a prison. You are on your own.
on your own. If anything happens while you are in there, we are not coming to rescue you. So I hope you don't have anything like, say, a pencil that could be used as a weapon. And so you're already terrified, and now you realize you have no help. And you walk into this place, and it's just one big yard, confined by concrete, and the first thing that hits you is the smell. Because there is no sewer, and you have, there is no shower, and you have hundreds of men and some women packed into this confined space. And as you walk around, you see the desperation on their face. Because in this place, there is no hope. There is no hope. And this is where Paul and Silas find themselves. They are in a prison, in a place of no hope, in a place of brokenness. This is an odd place for worship. And yet, my comment to you would be that you and I find ourselves in broken places all the time. It may not be prison. It may not be jail. But we find ourselves by the hospital bed of a loved one where sin has crept into our world and caused disease and brokenness. We see it in broken families. We see it in broken relationships. We see it in poverty. We see it in starvation. We see it in so many different places that we find ourselves in brokenness and desperation. It is an odd place to worship. And yet worship identifies who we are. Worship identifies our Lord. When the world sees us in an odd place to be singing, when the world sees us in an odd place to be praising, it identifies our worship, our voices, how we act, identifies who we belong to, who we trust. And people notice. People notice joy, and people notice hope. This passage tells us that Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening. And I would add to that, based on our jailer's response later, that the guards were listening as well. It was bizarre. Here are two guys who probably pretty much everybody in the community knew shouldn't be in jail, who have just been beaten, who had been falsely accused, now find themselves in this horrible place, and yet they are singing. People notice notice joy they notice when something's different but not only do they notice hope and joy not only does worship set us apart in that way but worship changes our responses the world expects us to act like them doesn't it it expects us as fellow human beings in a community to act the same way that they would. When you go to McDonald's, you're expected to order a cheeseburger. And if you order a salad, you're going to be looked at weird. 
One of, one of my least favorite parts about Ms. Actually, no, not my one of. My least favorite part of visiting the South and visiting Melissa's family is ordering unsweet tea. You get below the Tennessee border and you go to a restaurant and you order unsweet tea like a civilized person and they will look at you like you have four heads. It has gotten to the point where to my shame and something that I have confessed before the Lord, I have lied to the McDonald's attendant and told them that I was a diabetic so they didn't think that I was weird. Just so I could have unsweet tea without being judged. I have confessed that, Lord, I don't do that anymore. It's wrong. I take my condemnation like a man. But there's an expectation because of where you're at and the culture that you're in that you're going to do a certain thing. And the world expects that all the time. They expect things when you face disease. They expect brokenness and you just to give up. When your family is going through a tough time, they expect divorce. It's, it's no longer a surprise to anyone. They expect us to act like them. But worship makes us like Christ. This is the amazing thing. Worship transforms us from doing the things that the world would expect us to do to doing the things that he wants us to do. We've talked about this big word called sanctification. We went over it back in January. Sanctification is just a process that God uses to transform us into the image of Christ, to make him more like himself. And the the amazing thing is, is that the more that we lift up Christ, the more that we lift up our Savior and we put our focus on Him and we sing to Him and we praise Him and we spend time with Him, the more we begin to look like Him and the more we begin to act like Him so that when circumstances arise, we act differently. An earthquake happens. The doors of the prison are thrown open. The shackles, the chains are thrown off. There is an expectation. So much so that the jailer doesn't even bother to go look. He knows that these guys have escaped. And whether it's right or wrong, he is the one that's going to be held responsible for their escape. And so he begins the process of killing himself so that he doesn't have to face the torment that he is going to face. There's an expectation, and yet from the darkness, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And this jailer grabs a light and runs down, and I'm sure the other guards were right behind him. He runs down into the pit of this broken place, and he finds Paul and Silas. He finds these two guys that have been worshiping all night long who have been acting and sounding very peculiar. And he throws himself at at their feet. And he says, how must I be changed? How am I changed? People notice odd reactions. They notice joy and hope. 
in broken places, and they notice when we don't act the way that we're supposed to. It stands out. And it leads them, it leads to evangelism. Worship leads to evangelism. When they see our worship, they know the who. When they see us praise God with all that we are as one body, as one family, when they see us worship Him through service and action, through obedience, through the things that we say, they know the who. Who we trust, who we serve. When they see our actions, they know the why. Why do we serve Him? Because He has called us to something greater. Because we have a hope. We have an assurance of something more. When people, and this is the next slide, but when people see the unexpected, they will ask the question. When they see us doing the unexpected, when they see us praising the Lord when they in a broken place, when they see us doing that which is not normal, they will ask the question, what do I have to do to be successful? And isn't that what we want? Isn't that our heart's desire to see men and women, boys and girls, to ask the question, what must I do to be successful? Worship done rightly can lead to evangelism. But bad worship witnesses truth. Bad worship witnesses truth. Because actions without worship speak nothing. Actions without worship equals a club. We all know people that do good things. We all know people that do good things. But if we do not lift the Lord's name up in worship, then they don't know why we do them. They don't know what it's for. And at that point, we're no better than the Rotary Club. And I love the Rotary Club if you remember God's collection. But we are no better than a Rotary Club if we do not lift up the name of the Lord and help them to know that this is why we do it. I've told you this before, but one of my least favorite comments ever is, I'll show them by the way I walk. I'll share the gospel by my walk and let it speak for me. No. Actions alone, actions alone get people nowhere. We have to, we have to worship. We have to lift our voice and let them know why we do it. But the opposite is true as well. Because many worship without action. Many worship without action. Just as there are many that that act without worship, the reverse is true. And that leads to hypocrisy. When we worship, when we join together on Sunday morning and we lift up our voices and sing to Him, but we do not obey Him, that is hypocrisy, and it has just as big a witness on those that see us as anything else. I don't know how many, how many kids, how many adults even that I've talked to, that I know that they were raised in church. I know that they were raised by a godly parent. 
and yet they find themselves outside of the church, having fled from it. And I ask them, what, how did you get here? And nine times out of ten, it's because I saw hypocrisy. I saw worship, but I saw no action. I saw people say they love the Lord, but I never saw it be a difference in their life. Why does this jailer run to the feet of Silas and Paul and ask to be saved? Because he had heard them worship. He had heard them praise the Lord Most High. He had heard their joy, heard their hope. And then he saw the difference when they acted differently, when they acted against expectation. Are we doing that? Are we acting are we worshiping so they know who we worship? And are they acting, are we acting and obeying so they see the difference? If we are, then I promise you some will ask the question. Some will ask the question, what must I do? My question to you is, who do we want to be? Who do we want to be, church? Do we want to be a church that understands worship? Do we want to be a church that grasps a hold of it, to be individual believers that grasp a hold of it in our personal life, in our families, and in our church, and, and then act upon it in such a way that some will come and ask the question? Or are we content never worship or to worship and never act? Are we content to allow our worship to be a bad worship? I'm going to ask the praise team to come back up. And they're going to have a time of, we're going to have a time of response. It's a time for you to, to take what the Lord has been speaking to your heart this morning and to respond to it. Maybe this morning it's just a response of worship and you want to stand with us and sing praises with us and amen glory to god maybe it's this morning you need to make a commitment lord i want my worship to lead to evangelism i want my worship my praise of the lord and my obedience to you to help people to see who you are and ask the question i'm so thankful for peter coming and, and kayla coming and sharing this morning and peter shared with you something that i i don't know that he even intended to but it, it, it challenged me this morning he used a film and a question that had nothing to do with the gospel to lead to the gospel. It wasn't hard. What are you afraid of? Let me tell you how the Lord has overcome my fear. Let me tell you what he's done in my life in regards to fear. Evangelism is not complicated. It's listening and asking questions sharing the story of what he has done for us, worshiping in front of them. Are we willing to do that? Do we want to do that? May God put that desire in our heart. I'm going to pray, and we're going to have that time of response. You do it, Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, and we are thankful for how you love us. We are thankful that you died and took the penalty for our sins. 
Lord, we are thankful that through you that we have joy and hope that is unexplainable, that is eternal. We thank you that though we face difficult times in our lives, though we face brokenness, though we face places of despair, that we can sing songs of worship, that we can lift up your name and be thankful because we understand that this is all temporary. Father, I pray. I pray for myself. I pray for us as a church. Lord, that we would desire for our worship to be right before you, that as we lift you up, that you would draw others to you, that our worship would lead to advancement. Father, I pray, help us not to be afraid. Help us not to be afraid.